Hi, and welcome to the first episode of the year on What More Could You Want? Um, in this episode, I'm joined by Priya Williams, a financial advisor and director of St. Julian's Financial Planning. Hi, Priya. Hi, good morning. How are you? Morning. Good, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to jump on so early. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Normally I'm up at six anyway, so this was fine. It slotted right in. Oh, thank you. It's tricky with the time difference of me being in New Zealand and you in the UK, so I appreciate that. You're very welcome. No worries at all. Um. To start with, Priya, it would be really great just for the listeners if you could provide an overview of, of who you are and where you come from um, and sort of what's led you into the position that you're in today. Sure. Well, first off, thanks so much for having me on. I feel totally honoured. So thank oh. you for asking. <laughs> thank um, you. But yeah, I mean, Christ, it makes me feel old when I think all the way back to how this all started. Um, I was born in London, um, but when I was around eight years old, my family up sticks and we moved out to Mauritius and that's where my family are actually from. So um, we lived there for quite some time whilst my dad did his own work stuff. Um, but I'm one of four girls, so it wasn't just me. It's me and my three younger sisters and my mom. So we all moved out there and yeah, it was such an eye-opener moving away from London to a tiny island admittedly the weather was amazing the beaches are fantastic Um, I think I've become such a beach snob now even Brighton doesn't do it for me (laughs) Um, but yeah it's just one of those things isn't it Um, that's where it pretty much all started and it kind of started to shape really my mind because in my lifetime if I could be so bold we lived like royalty in the sense that we had a huge house, swimming pool, river that went all the way around it, all the way to one point in our lives where the six of us were living in a one-bedroom annex. So literally that is how far apart my life had been, like the contrast in my life. Um, So I have literally been on both ends of that spectrum. And I think that has had a huge impact, I think, growing up how I view finances. And I know I'm not alone in thinking the way you've been brought up and how you've been raised has got a lot to do with how you view finances as such, for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's, I wasn't expecting that to be said, Priya. That's, that's incredible. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's always good to put like, you know, just to understand the perspective, unless you understand the perspective, you won't really know which way it's going, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And just how everyone comes through life through such a different lens and you just never know Mm. what someone's past experience is until you really get to know them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess sort of before we delve into the financial education questions, because obviously that's what you specialise in, I just wanted to ask a bit more of a personal question. Um, So my podcast is about figuring out what gives us a purpose in life and how we navigate what we want to do in our careers. But um, also very much your personal life and your career and and how they match up. Do you have any like personal tips or guidance which you'd be well- willing to share in managing the feeling of not knowing what you want to do or feeling like you're never doing quite enough? Um, particularly you're busy with your children, a wife and the director of your financial planning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Here we go. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Look. You know, I don't think anyone really knows, even I think when you get to university, I don't even think you know for sure what it is exactly that you want to do in life. Mm. And I guess with me, I I kind of thought in my head, I want to get into finance because of the experiences that I've had in my lifetime personally. I always thought I'd love to get into finance just to give me a route to somehow be able to change something. But I didn't know what that was. 
I genuinely mm. did not know what that was, even though now I, I completely realize what it is I've been aiming to get to. I did not know what that was, even going into university. But I did know I wanted to do finance. So I ended up doing a business management and finance degree just to give me that leg up within that kind of industry, really, more than yeah. anything else. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you should feel bad for not knowing where you're going. However, yeah. if you think about where you want to end up and work your way backwards, which to a certain degree I did, um, it will put you in the best on the best footing just to get to where you need to be effectively. And, you know, being like being a mom, being a wife first and foremost, and then running my business and being a financial advisor, I've got over 240 clients. So it's not like I'm sitting around not doing it. I'm running around all the time. I've got four diaries to manage myself, my kids and my husband's. But I can't say I could have done this on my own without knowing that I was in a 50-50 partnership with my husband. Phil, who is my other half, he picks up slack as much as I do. And between the two of us, we are a team. And that's how this runs. I couldn't do what I'm doing unless he was supporting me. And I was supporting him because he's also incredibly busy. Um, He's got a very demanding job. So... Yeah, you know, it takes time. I don't think anyone sets out in life knowing what they want to do. It's just the people that you end up meeting. I'm a massive advocate in meeting people. I always love to meet new people. I always love to make the effort to get to know somebody. Um, And you just don't know where that leads. One thing will always lead to somewhere else. And that's how I ended up being where I am now. Um, because before the financial advice side of things, I was actually um, an accountant up in the city, up in Canary Wharf. But I didn't actually oh, okay. get into that job. Um, by I, I actually got into that job by accident, sorry. It, and it was because I bumped into somebody in the workplace that I was just doing ad- administration. And he was like, oh, I'm moving up to the city for a job. Do you want to join me? I, you know, we'll sponsor you to do your exams. I was like, yeah, sounds great. So off I went. But that was yeah. just pure luck. I ended up just yeah. saying hello to somebody. Um, and wow. that kind of spiraled into where I am today. I think, um, I mean, first and foremost, it sounds oh, like you have an amazing yeah. partnership, which really is the driving force behind everything that you have going on as well, which is so nice. Oh, um, absolutely. W- would it be fair to say, I like what you said about how you create almost like a vision of what you want in the future yeah. and work back and work back from that. Cause I think it's quite easy to sort of be like, Oh, I really want to have this job and I really want to, I am not happy in my current job. And you just sort of yeah. get in that current, that rut. And then mm, you're not thinking mm. of the bigger picture, like taking yourself out of it. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And um, don't get me wrong. I, I have not always been so lucky in my lifetime, but I'm the one who have, I made the decisions in my lifetime. I've chosen where I need to be. I've chosen what to do. And I'll give you an example of that. I straight off to university, um, as you can imagine, influx of application forms for exactly the same job that I want, right? You know, so many kids have just graduated at that moment in time. They're looking to go into finance, as an example, because that was my area at the time. I couldn't get a job because the employer wanted experience. And I just thought to myself, how on earth can I get experience if I don't actually get employed somewhere? Yeah, I hear my friends say that all the time. And it's crazy, isn't it? And it's a definite thing. It is a thing. Um, so I ended up linking up with my one of my husband's friends, old friends from university. So there is a 10-year gap between my husband and I. So his mate's already done and they're, they're really successful. Um, so he said to me, why don't you go and chat to this guy and just see what he can do for you? I went in not wanting to be employed by them, but just, I was hungry for the experience. It's how hungry you are. I ended up working for six months without any pay off my own back, traipsing in and out of London every day, just to build up my experience. And that was all with no pay. That was all for free. 
but the amount I picked up was incredible. And yeah, I just ended up doing six months without pay in three various roles. So he led me on to someone else in another company into a PR firm. So I ended up working in PR for a little while. And I actually then managed to test the waters without any kind of restrictions because I just thought I'm, I'm working for free so I can actually do what I need to do to get out, out of this mm. experience, what I need. So yeah, that, that was it's- the start of it all really. Taking taking a big leap was worth it in the future. Absolutely. It just kind of set me up, first of all, for my work ethic. I knew then I had it in me to just graft and get on with it. Um, yeah. The second thing was using the connections. Who do you know in your network? People that might know someone else to be able to just yeah. get you to that place where you need to be. That's why talking to people is just so important. You just never know who you might meet. Um, I, so, I wrote that yeah. down as as you were talking. I wrote down relationships and networking, and it's so yeah. it's so easy to say. I think, um, but we right. almost become. I don't know if if you found this, but when I look through LinkedIn, I think, oh gosh, wow, like they're doing so much with their profile and everything, and everyone's becoming yeah. very good at creating these. I don't know social media posts about themselves. And oh gosh, yeah, I find it quite quite bizarre in a way because I think I've probably been brought up by my parents of just go and talk to them and say what you're interested yes. in and you never know what might come of it, come of it. and I sort of then said to my partner the other day like I can't make these posts on social media it's just <laughs> not the way I work <laughs> it's kind of changing um anyway I guess I wanted to also ask you, I know that you advocate highly for women and finance. Um, Yeah. What led you to being an advocate of particularly women and finance? That's kind of twofold and I'll delve into a more personal story, which is actually my mum. Like I said to you at the beginning, I went from living in a huge house to being in a one bedroom annex with three of my sisters and my mum and dad in one room, it all really boiled down to the fact that my mum actually had no control over the finances and it was my dad. And I found that really difficult to deal with, especially as I got older and I became more and more independent in my own right. I just thought, how can you not want to know what the finances look like and how can you not want to understand how to make yourself more independent just on a personal level. So just strip everything away around you, the partners, everything else. And it's just Mm. you, how do you view money? And really that kind of, and, and then I got into this job, you know, it started financial advice. And then I realized more and more it's the jet, our parents' generation, the, the women, the wives, they don't want anything to do with the investment conversations and it's just it's mind-boggling because I'm almost like but no please come and sit down with us because it's (laughs) yours as well so they're always looking at me like what I never have done like yeah but this is so different like you've got to know where your money is you have to at least have some understanding of what you've got and your choices matter why should it not matter your your thoughts matter just talk to me about it you know I had such um scarcity if that's the right word around finances until dad said to to speak to yourself and I I I kind of thought that everything I was thinking was just crazy but actually it's when you speak to someone who knows what they're talking about it just completely puts you at ease 100 percent, absolutely yeah I mean if you come across an advisor or someone who's in the finance industry and can give you just sound advice you're on a winning streak you really are was there another fold to the story? I know you said it was a, a twofold first part about yeah, well, your mum. Yeah, well, that's and- it. So the personal bit was my mum, and then the other side yeah. of it was actually being in the business and then realising that, you know, most of my female clients who were of a certain generation just didn't want to participate in the conversations. Oh, okay. And they'd just leave the room and just say, oh, no, no, he deals with it. So he can continue to deal with it. And I'm just like, yeah, but mm. don't you want to know? Don't you want to understand? Um, and they're a bit like, okay, then if you, if you want me to sit down, I'll sit down too. So 
Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, that's why. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if you can see my books. I'm all, you know, all about being a strong feminist as well, making sure women are as equal as men and making sure that, you know, we are as strong, if not stronger than to be able to just make these types of decisions. Yeah. So it's just, I think it's like being changing society's norms. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm and I've, I've, happy to say that with our generation, that is changing. And I hope it just continues yeah. to change. Absolutely. I'd never really thought of it in terms of finances. I always thought, you know, it was always the stereotype of the women do the cleaning and everything at home. And I'd never thought of it in money terms. So that's quite interesting. That's quite interesting. Yeah, it's seen as the man's job, isn't it? Finance. That's why when <laughs> when people hear that what I do for a living, they're a bit like, "What? You own yeah. your own company?" I was like, "Yeah, I do too, right?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I've kind of jotted down some questions that I'd like to ask, but then I also yes, did I um put it out on my Instagram and asked my followers if, if they had any questions they'd like to ask. Oh, so, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll I'll, jot, I'll fire away some of mine and then I'll also um, ask what the others wanted to know. Sure. The first one was, how much should we be saving? How much should we be using for for bills? And how much for our disposable income? What our fund money? Oh, that's back to budgeting basics, isn't it? So <laughs> there is a formula. Um, I'd always advocate. With your net income that's coming in and you've got in your bank account at the end of the month, half of that, so 50%, goes on all your bills. 30% is fun money. And then 20% is savings. What about if you then, if you, if you, just sorry, trying to think about what I'm saying here. If if your partner if your partner did that too, you just yeah. you keep that the same as well. Absolutely, absolutely. But also have a yeah. look at it's really <clears throat> what's the word? Um I don't want to use the word common sense, but if you look at it in its entirety and you've got two incomes coming in, but your bills are mm. perhaps a third of it, you, you would still look to putting half of that all into a bills account anyway and whatever money you've got going into that bills account between the two of you that will build up over time as well even if you've got excess so that can just Mm. that will be eventually your emergency money buffer money just in case you know your car broke down and you needed to or your boiler broke down or something like that the money is there to be used and also with the 2030 bit with the fund money and the savings that can also be slightly adjusted so say for example if you're in the throes of um buying your first house and you're all about saving obviously your fund money goes down slightly because you want to save that much more to get there a bit quicker so it's all really according to your circumstances but as a general rule i would definitely stick with the fifth half of it go into your bills even if it's excess over bills it's just building up over time anyway for you to use at a later stage that's a good tip 50 30 20 yep there you go (laughs) um i guess this this question is kind of a bit completely the other end really but i was quite interested in the idea that people might view money as a psychological thing. So I I wanted to ask, really, do you think money is psychological and, and do you think people hold different views around money and the purpose of it? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, you know, I can only refer back on to my own, reflect on my own experiences, but if I hadn't had gone through what I did... I don't think I would have thought about money the way that I do right now. And I think it's taken me a long time to look at it in a positive light because I felt in the past that money was source of pretty much all the wrong that's happened in our life in the sense that my dad lost everything and 
he didn't know how to manage his own money. So a hundred percent. Um, and do you know what? I actually met a client not that long ago and she was saying to me, you need to help me try and save because literally every penny is accounted for. And it just goes, if it's not, I will just spend it on shopping. And I said, but why do you need to shop? She goes, I don't need to shop. I just have to. My my head just tells me that I've got to do it. And it turned yeah. out because I'm also a mental health first aider. So I've done training in mental health when it comes to finances as well. So it just happened to be that when she was younger, she also didn't have a lot growing up. And she had a few horrible Christmases with her own family to the point now where she goes over the top beyond what she can actually afford to make sure it's magical. And it's amazing, but she's realizing it's actually not sustainable. So mm. yeah, in answer to your question, a hundred percent, your psychology, yeah. the way you think about money has got everything to do with how you handle it as well, for sure. I think it's, it's really oh, yeah. interesting how really you interesting pick up, how you pick up your own views from your parents in just in childhood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. what shapes you, doesn't it, at the end of the day? Mm, it yeah. really does. It's, um, I guess it leads nicely then onto. I guess you've almost answered it really. Do you think money affects people's relationships and friendships? Because I personally mm -hmm. do feel that talking about finance is difficult with your, your nearest and dearest. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I, I, do you know what? I'd love to find, that's going to be one of my tasks actually to work out why, like go all the way back to why it became a thing to not talk about money. And, you know, I guess I got a fairly good idea mm. when I think when companies give you a pay rise and all that sort of stuff, they do say to you, don't tell your counterparts. So you feel less inclined to talk about how much money you're actually earning. But in terms of a relationship, absolutely it does. It can affect it for sure. It really can. And I think when I was pregnant with my kids, especially Angie, my firstborn, obviously my husband was working. I wasn't working because I'd taken a break out of work completely. And money then became a difficult subject because of how fiercely, fiercely independent I was. I was very, yeah. I was finding it really difficult to say to Phil, I need to just go out shopping. Like I need to go and buy something. And, and I'd feel really awkward to ask. And I'm like, why am I even, this is my husband. Like we've just had a child together. It's all <laughs> in the mind. Right. So yeah, yeah it definitely yeah. affects relationships. And, you know, I think as a couple, as long as you're open and honest with how you think the money will affect you going forward. And if you've got a set amount going into a joint account, which covers your bills, because I think that's where most of the conflict happens is it when you just don't feel like you're doing your share or they're not doing their share, that's where most of the conflict happens. So it's just being open mm. and honest, having an open conversation. Um, but yeah, with friends, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it's like, when you, you know, when you go out for dinner and you, you split the meal and then there's that, sometimes there's that one person that says, well, actually, I didn't have a glass of wine, so I'd just rather pay just for my meal. And obviously you want to respect and honour that, but I probably also hold the view of, oh, come on, just split it. But everyone's different yes. and I completely yes. understand that. But it, it does just cause like that feeling in the air of like... Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what it... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I've been in a similar situation. In fact, I fell out with a friend because of that. It oh, really? really annoyed me. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. And she was quibbling over 88 pence. And I just couldn't get my head around it. And it's all for the mm. sake of just splitting the bill. And she did say, I didn't have wine, I had water. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, Same it just didn't make any sense. It really didn't. Yeah. But I think looking back on it, it's more, again, before you, when you're creating these plans, just say, is everyone comfortable splitting the bill at the end of the night? Hmm. Or Clear is there something you'd rather? Exactly. It's always setting hmm. expectations. If you can set the expectation, everyone knows what's coming, just stops that awkward moment at the end of the night of, yeah. oh, actually, we're going to split it four ways or whatever. 
Um, just going back to what you were saying earlier about feeling awkward asking for money when you weren't working, when you had your, yeah. your firstborn, do you think that in, sometimes I notice, um, men can find it difficult when women earn more than the male. And I've, I've known it to like break relationships in the past. Oh, Cause wow. that's almost like a, a new thing, isn't it? Like yes, the yes. women earning more and the men sometimes feel I don't know if it's fair to say, but like not as um, masculine almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you go back in history, it's always been the man going out to provide for the family and the woman at home looking after the family. And as our norms are starting to change in society, more and more women and rightly so are out and more ambitious to earn and be their own person. I I guess with some men, especially when they look back on their own families, I think that's where it would normally stem from is looking back on their own families to think, well, my dad was one who went out to work and looked after my mom and us. I should be doing the same. And absolutely that could cause conflict. Um, It really can, but that really comes down to that person, that guy's way of thinking. And until that changes, it's really difficult to get around it. Phil and I are pretty much on par now, which is great. Um, so I'm I'm happy about that. And it could be in the future I end up still earning more than he does. But he's like, yeah, whatever. Just like at the end of the day, yeah. it's a collective effort, right? It's totally Absolutely. collective. We're in it yeah. together. And he, I wouldn't be where I am if he didn't support me as well as he did. Um, so it's a bit of give and take at the end of the day, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I think, sorry, I'm going off completely what I wanted to ask you, but I also think that money is sometimes sometimes a a cultural thing because I found in New Zealand, living over here, people actually talk about money quite openly. And I noticed this and I was like, oh, that's a lot more than I've ever spoken about in the UK before. So I didn't know if... Wow. In what way? What would they talk about? They'd straight up ask you what you're earning. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And that really shocked me because back home, we we would not do that. I wouldn't, personally. Well, you can tell I'm a bit (laughs) shocked anyway. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. That is incredible. That is incredible. I know. But I guess... I think... Go Go on. on. (laughs) I was being too polite. I was was just going to say, I think... I don't know. The way of life in New Zealand is the whole, I, I generally believe that they work to live, not live to work. And they're just Mm. so relaxed and easygoing. Like you don't pay for parking in the, in the big shopping mall car parks. They're never, I never feel like they're chasing you for money. So I don't know if it's just, I don't know. That's just my own personal experience. Other people might not not agree with that. No, no, absolutely. I think you're, you you know, you're onto something there because definitely cultural difference for sure. Mm. Because if you think about how we are in the UK, it's very much a stiff upper lip, you know, you kind of keep it to yourself. And I think in the U S it's even worse where you kind of doggy, it's a doggy dog world out there. You you're fending for yourself. It's not so friendly. Um, yeah. And over here, like I said, we're all very, I'm not going to say we're all very insular because that's very stereotypical and not all of us are like that. But as a culture, I think we're less inclined to speak openly about money Mm. because I think also money shows your status in the UK so the more money you earn the higher up the status chain you are effectively and the less you earn so people don't want to talk about things like that because of the fear of belittling themselves yeah absolutely and it's and it's not spoken about in schools and so then if you come out of school and you haven't spoken about it you're you automatically Mm. assume that you're not meant to be talking about it absolutely I mean, yeah 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 m- money as a topic is is taught but it i don't know if it's necessarily then related to real life i don't know yeah well that well that's my issue with it all really because mm. finance should be taught at schools why on earth is it not i mean yeah 
you know, you're going to need it more than you're going to need an isosceles triangle, as an example, um, <laughs> than anything. So setting yourself up from an early stage, from an early age to be able to understand, actually, what is the difference? What, what would happen if I got a credit card instead of a personal loan? Or what is debt? Or how do I yeah. save? Or what bank accounts are available out there? How do I budget? You know, that, yeah. that was one of the questions you asked, like how, what is budgeting? What would you put aside for your bills? What would you put aside for your fund money, et cetera? Those are basics and the yeah. basics aren't being taught. So it's dif difficult when you come out. I mean, I'll give you a fantastic example, actually. And it's again, drawing on my own experience. I came out of university. No, actually, I went to university. I had no idea how money worked. And obviously, as you can tell, it was very up and down in my whole in my family as I was growing up. So I went to the bank and um, my friend was like, oh, you know, you can get an overdraft on your um, student account. I was like, what? What is an overdraft? But anyway, I didn't care. <laughs> I had £750. So I went to the bank <laughs> And um, I said to them, can I have an overdraft, please, for £750? And in my head, I mean, I don't know what my friend was on, but he was very much like, oh, you'll get it every month. And I was like, oh, perfect. I'm obviously not, not literally connecting the dots here. That's how daft it was. And I just got <laughs> my £750 that month, and I went and spent it on God knows what. I don't even have anything to show for it. I've, I'm embarrassed to say um, but it got to the end of the month and I'm like, oh, what, what date do they give you the next overdraft? And it turned out that's not how it works. <laughs> so I came out of uni <laughs> with so much debt and it was yeah. all because I didn't understand an overdraft and how it worked. And yeah. but I think to me, that speaking, was really sad. But I think you're speaking and echoing the voice of thousands of teenagers across the country like, yeah, I went and got an overdraft at uni. I, you know, I know many of my friends who did the same and family members. And then Absolutely. you realize that you can get another overdraft yeah, on another card. Yeah. And then you suddenly have two overdrafts and then you come out of uni and you have a lot of money to pay off yes. as well as your student finance loan. <laughs> Exactly. And the interest yeah. rates on it are always so high. And I remember getting charge upon charge upon charge, mm. which built up and up and up. And in hindsight, that's a great big flaw in the banking industry to allow that to actually happen. If you're a student yeah. and not, you know, I, I remember the woman didn't even take down any of my details other than the fact, well, do you want one or do you, don't you want one? And it was like, wow, that was how easy it was just to walk in that bank and get an overdraft. But yeah, yeah, something as basic as that. If you'd taught that to a child at school, they would have gone in with yeah. a bit more knowledge and understanding actually what that meant to them. What What advice would you give to people who are in that position coming out of university now and constantly chasing their tail or feeling like they need to earn, but also that as soon as they earn, it's, they earn, it's practically bringing them to zero in their bank account? Yeah, I mean... Christ, Beth, honestly, that, that's, that was me. That was me coming out of university. <laughs> it really was. I was chasing my tail. I got a job and the money was never enough to cover my bills plus the debt that I was trying to service. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it just, it was one of those things I ended up just because I had so many bank accounts with so many overdrafts in the end and a credit card. All I did was actually consolidate the debt into one to make it easier to manage in the first instance. And also the interest rate on that one loan was far less than all of them put together. So interest, the interest rate is basically the cost of that borrowing, effectively the cost of borrowing that money. So the cost of borrowing the money went down. So I was able to pick up on those um, debt repayments. So I managed to get myself out of that situation um, within a couple of years, I think it was after that, um, because then I only had just had one loan to have to think about rather than several different overdraft payments. So, mm. yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. You know, consolidation loan. Yeah, if you can consolidate it all into one place, but at a less, lesser interest rate, you should get there fairly quickly, um, unless you've got someone who's there who can clear the debt for you and you're forever in their debt. But, you know, it's just one of those things. If you're not, then yeah, definitely consolidate it. What about, um, I don't know, sometimes I talk to my friends and they're always like, 
And I, I agree with them. I always say the same thing. I say, I never want to be in a position where I can't just treat myself to a coffee. But I remember living yeah. in London and it got to the point where I was like, I absolutely cannot buy myself a coffee this morning because you are watching the pennies that closely. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know, like, what, what do you think about that? Like, should we hold back on doing that? And you should, you should watch it so closely if you're trying to save and you're trying to pay your bills. Well, it it's all really down to your own individual circumstance at the time, you know. Yeah. Is it, can you not buy a coffee because you were out the night before at a wine bar? Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's really understanding what your priorities are. It's prioritizing. So mm-hmm. always living within your means. And yeah. if you're not, you're going to find yourself in difficulty fairly quickly. And if you are living within your means... That's why the budgeting kind of principle is there, just to give you a bit of fun money to go out and actually enjoy yourself. It shouldn't, you know, you're not working this hard to be sat at home all day worrying about your money. I mean, that kind of deviates away from why you're doing it in the first place, right? So if you're budgeting normally, as you would, and you're covering your bills and you've got a bit of fun money and you've got a tiny bit to put away, you're on a winning streak. So I guess... To answer, it's hard to answer that question in a yes or no, um, mm. because it will very much depend on your priorities at that moment in time. And I'll give you an example yeah. again. If you're saving for a house, your fund money will be less because you'll be saving more to try and get that deposit, that initial deposit yeah. to put down for that property that you really, really want. So it's all about prioritizing and budgeting accordingly. My um, my dad always says... Um, some people just want to live the champagne money lifestyle, but with lemonade money. Lemonade budget, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> champagne lifestyle on a lemonade budget. There you go. And that's trying to live within your means. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just everything in moderation. 100%. Um, the, the first question that, that one of the, my followers asked was, um, what's the best savings account to open right now for first time savings? Or... If you don't know, where is it best to find this information? Well, I actually did a bit of research before I came online just to actually just see what the bank what bank rates are actually going on at the moment, interest rates. Um, with interest rates peaking last year, you know, set cash savers had a ball in the markets just to be able to find really high paying interest rate accounts. Um, but at the moment, I found, um, I think, Charter Bank. And uh, just so you you are aware, and I need to, but I have to actually say this, this is only guidance. It's not advice. So yeah. I'm just putting it out there. Um, and it's all very much dependent on your personal circumstances. But um, having a look, Money Saving Expert is a very good website. Sometimes I actually mm. go on there just to do um, income uh, tax calculations sometimes. But oh, okay. when, when yeah. I'm short of time. I go on there and I'll do an income tax calculation and it's really, really accurate. So okay. absolutely go on to Money Saving Expert. That's a good website to actually have a look at what the best interest rates are at the moment. And Charter Bank, I think I wrote that down somewhere. They're giving 5.17%. Wow. So that is quite high and it's an instant cash saving. Yeah. So it might be that they might restrict you on how much you can put into that bank account. But yeah, definitely worthwhile looking into if you're looking for sh- short-term savings. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a useful oh. tip. I haven't actually heard of Charter Bank. Um, how much money should we be saving for a house? What are the additional costs on top of saving for a deposit? My, my sister asked me this. Because she was like, I know we should be saving, but also what about when you want to put your new carpet in? And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, good point. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So deposits vary from provider to provider, but at a bare minimum, you're looking between 5 and 20% deposit of the purchase price of the house that you want. So depending on which provider they've got their mortgage with, they will be able to tell them, actually, we are looking for X amount. And obviously, the bigger your deposit, the better the rate you'll get as well. So there's nothing wrong. There's no harm in trying to save up more than you you want just to be able to get that property that you want. 
um, and at a better rate at the end of the day. Mm. So again, it really depends on the provider, the mortgage provider that you'll be getting your mortgage with. And in terms of additional costs, you've got just on moving solicitors fees, Mm. stamp duty, removal firms, um, and also depending on the type of property you've bought, whether it's a completely brand spanking new house, you can just literally, it's a turnkey property. You walk in, put your furniture in and you're done. Or it's a wreck, which mine was, um, <laughs> and you're spending <laughs> quite a few thousand pounds just to get it up to scratch again. So it really depends on the type of property you'll be buying. Um, and everyone wants yeah. to put their stamp on it. And um, there are so many like hats these days just to save the extra pennies to be able to yeah, make the house look lovely. So, mm. yeah, it really depends on the prop- the type of property you're looking to buy. If it's a renovation, put aside a 100 grand, I'd say. <laughs> but if it's not, then you'll be all right with a few a few thousand just for carpets. Okay. Oh, well, that's good to know. It's definitely worth just having the emergency money, not just giving it all for your deposit. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Um. So should we be, this is another question that someone else has asked, um, should we be investing our money or using savings accounts? Which I thought was a good question. Yeah, that's a really good one. And Mm. again, it's guidance, not advice. And it's very much based on your circumstances. I think the first question to ask is when you're looking at investments versus cash, how long can you have it put aside for? And what are you saving yeah. for? So with investments, I would always say a minimum to three to five years that you're not going to be touching that money because investments will go up and down all the time because it's very yeah. much in global in the global market. So it will be fluctuating all the time. Yeah. However, cash is steady. It's there. It doesn't change. You'll get the interest that they've said they'll give you. But you've also got inflation to think about. So inflation is basically, in simple terms, just the buying power of your money. Your £10 today won't buy you the same basket of goods that it did five years ago. Because over the last year or so, as you saw in the headlines, in the actually you're not in the UK, so you might have not seen, um, but um, <laughs> inflation has, went up and interest rates went up all last year and the year before last. So yeah. Because inflation it was a good time up, to be that, saving? Yeah, I mean, again, it's dependent on your circumstances. Because interest rates are going up, cash savers have been like, well, I'm going to need the money in a couple of years' time. Absolutely, put it in a cash account. But if you've got more than three years or five years still, better still, I'd definitely go into an investment. Okay. okay. Where is it best to find What's information fine? about that? um so what for cash or investments in investments yeah because i feel like that's quite overwhelming oh absolutely and um i guess if you've got um access to a financial advisor that's always helpful because it always helps to talk it through with somebody rather than trying to gather information on the internet because sometimes you don't even know where to start right so looking for a financial advisor that you know or that you can trust that will just put you in such a good place um for the future because you can have an open discussion yeah you know i'm one of those it's not about how much money I can make. It's more actually what is right for you because if it's not right for you, you're not going to, it won't sit well. And, you know, I like to sleep at night. I don't want to be worrying about things like this. So (laughs) I'm just like, look, if it's not right for you, and I have said in the past to clients, actually, I don't think you're a good person to want to invest because of your attitude towards money um, and how you think money works. So it's like, no, just don't put the money there, put it in a cash account. It'll be much easier that way. So it's very much dependent on how you view money, what your circumstances are, what the money is there for for you to do what you're saving up for and the longevity how long have you got that's the main one really how long have you got and I know that my mum and dad definitely have different views on that dad's like yep we'll invest and mum's like oh I'd rather just keep it (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I've met your mum and dad. They're lovely, lovely yeah. people, but they're different. <laughs> they send their love. They say hello to. Oh. oh, bless them. Thank you. Um, another question that somebody has asked was, is it better to pay off as much as you can afford of the mortgage or just pay interest only? Oh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? So let me break down what interest only is first, because then okay. that will put people's minds at ease as to what actually is the right thing for them to do. So interest only is exactly what it says on the tin. You're only paying the interest on that mortgage. So at the end of that term, so it's a 25 year term, you still have the amount that you originally borrowed outstanding. So that's not gone down. You, yeah. All you've done is just paid off that interest. So what's really important in that instance is that you have set up a savings or investments vehicle to be able to offset the outstanding amount that you've borrowed. Okay. So sometimes that scares people and it scares them a lot yeah. because they're like, oh, at the end of the term, I thought my mortgage wouldn't be there anymore. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. You're just paying yeah. the interest. That's it. However, with a repayment mortgage, you're paying some of the capital, some of the in all of the interest, some of the capital, and over that term, it's down to zero. So you've got nothing there. What does capital mean? Sorry. Capital is just the actual amount that you've borrowed. So okay. the actual amount. So I'm say I'm buying a house for three hundred thousand pounds, just for um easy numbers' sake, and I've got fifty pound fifty thousand pound deposit. I have to borrow a hundred and 50,000 to, to, sorry, 250,000 to get my house. So that 250,000 is the amount that I've borrowed and that's the capital that I've borrowed. Okay. Um, um, but you know, it got to a point over the last few, I mean, the last few years, over the last seven years where interest rates have been so low, it made more sense to be in an interest only paying mortgage. And because your investments were a lot higher than the interest rates of the mortgage itself, if that makes sense. So it's talking to a mortgage advisor or a financial advisor who knows what they're talking about to put you on the right path. And also that can be changed as well. If you decide actually don't want to be on an interest only mortgage, you can swap it across yeah. to a capital repayment mortgage. Yeah. And like you say, it's your own personal circumstances. Like obviously you want mm. to pay off your mortgage as quickly as you can, but at the end of the day, it comes down to other financial commitments as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this this question I thought was good because it, it came from someone who's just set up their own business. Um, oh, wow. And, and he said, what would your go-to short-term investments be or what advice would you give around that? Okay, short-term investments is cash. Okay, so short term, I consider as one to three or one to five years. So okay. especially when it's a new business, there will be unexpected costs. There will be a month where the income hasn't been as high as it it should have been. So you'll be looking to dipping in and out of that savings account. So in that instance, I'll always say just find a good high interest rate bank account and shove the money in there. And when okay. you need it, it's there. But in the meantime, it's also earning interest for you. Um, but it's over that short period. What if it? What if it wasn't a short-term investment? Like, is there also? I guess probably. I guess probably what he might be trying to say is there good companies that you could just put some a small amount of money into and in a short period, like not putting it in for a long amount of time and then still gaining some money on that. Yeah. But like I said, um, you know, it will have to be a cash account, a cash account. So a high paying interest cash account. So as an example, charter a bank is giving 5.13%. He could have, he could put that money in that bank account and get that 5.13% growth over that one year period as opposed to putting it in the markets and it fluctuating with a potential of being lower than five percent in a year's time okay but then that makes the flip sense. side of mm -hmm. that it could be higher than five percent in a year's time but that's that's the gamble isn't it at the end of the day when you put your money yeah. in the markets 
yeah whether whether you can afford to or not exactly um, the the final question that that was asked was what advice would you give to someone who has more than one source of income how would you advise them to manage their money which i guess kind of goes slightly back to the 50 30 20 yeah, right. it does. I mean, it goes back to the budgeting basics, really, isn't yeah. it? So as long as you're budgeting as you should be and your, you know, your essentials are being covered every single month. I mean, depending on the income as well, if it's one big income and one small income and the big income is covering everything, I would just siphon off that small income into savings, like long term savings, as long as they don't need it. And yeah. just leave it then, yeah. allow that to grow over time if one income is sufficient to look after the bills. But if not, then absolutely, you know, I'm sure it's paying, it's being paid into the same bank account. So you can just use the same budgeting basics of 50, 30, 20. Yeah. Thank you, Priya. That, that was, that felt like a bit of a question and answer. Sorry. Um, no, no, I wanted that's to go and actually, sorry, <laughs> Beth, sorry. One thing I wanted to go back to actually is your friend, um, who's got the business. If he doesn't yes. need the money straight away, a really good tax efficient way of putting money aside is actually through a pension, especially if he's a business oh, owner. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, that's definitely worthwhile something for him to pick up on. Um, it reduces his tax bill. So, um, yeah, definitely something for him to pick up on if it's something that he's looking to do. But again, that's tied up until he's 55 years old under current legislation. So it depends on how okay. quickly he needs the money back. Oh, he'll be grateful of that. He um, actually was, it's Harry, the guy I interviewed on my first ever podcast. So, He'll, um, oh. I know that he'll be grateful of that advice. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Um, I guess, lastly, for me, I wanted to go back to being so, a primary school teacher myself. School teacher myself. I, I wanted to go back to the financial education within schools. Yeah. Um, what advice and tips could you give to us primary school teachers and secondary teachers too, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think at primary stage, you're looking to instilling the basics and we go back to budgeting budgeting is yeah. the end all will be yeah. all if you budget right you're in a good place okay so it's more just getting the kids make it fun give them some fake monopoly money you know for a week yeah. and just say look guys you've got this money for a week what are you going to do with it let's touch base on friday afternoon and see what you've done with the money and it's just giving nice. them that freedom and that opportunity and the, make it fun and interesting for them. Um, yeah. So that definitely primary school age kids for sure, because I have two primary school age children. Attention is yeah. kind of a fish. So it's just trying Absolutely. to hold on to that attention <laughs> for that longer period and as, of time. Um, and as I find you get as well, the older kids, yeah, go on then. Sorry, no, carry on, Priya. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. You go, you can. No, 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 go, go for it, Beth. It's a conversation. Oh, Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say in um, uh, primary school, what I found last year teaching um, back at a school in Plymouth was when we got out coins and notes, the children actually really didn't know what they were because they're also just paying for things in contactless. And yes. tapping all, yes. the all the time. And so even children in year four didn't know the difference between a one pound, two pound, fifty P, ten P. And I think it it definitely depends on the lives they're living at home and what they're being exposed to as to the awareness they then have of money. But that as a primary school teacher myself really shocked me and I thought, goodness, like I guess we don't oh, use God. coins and cash as much. Yeah. yeah, no, but you've absolutely brought that home to me because I'm thinking back to my two now here and Angeli, my eldest, she's she actually was 11 yesterday. She's had a Go Henry oh. card for the last two years. So all she's ever known is contactless. She's never picked right. up cash. And my yeah. son obviously sees her doing it and he's only seven. He doesn't have a card yet. He's too frivolous. I couldn't trust him with one. So <laughs> what, What's Go Henry? What is that? Oh, so Go Henry is um, a bank account for kids, oh, and it wow. comes on an app. 
Um, and she's got it on her phone and she can actually track how much she's saving, how much she's spending. Um, and it's got all of these, it's literally got all these financial education pieces on it. So it will give her tips, hints and tips as she's going along in her spending journey, should I say, um, on how to manage her own money. Yeah, it's really good. It really is. Teachers could bring that into their own lessons. Like if we could get the app onto the iPads in the classrooms. Yeah, absolutely. But I think I there is a have... cost to it. I think it's about oh, okay, yeah. three or four pounds a month, I think you've got to pay for it um, mm, to have access okay. to all the stuff. But I'll be more than happy to send you some bits and pieces for you to mess around with with the kids in the classroom. Oh, thanks, Brit. Um, Thank you. It's not a problem, no. And... Yeah. So in that sense, yeah, you're absolutely right. Just not having that physical money. I mean, Christ, I remember Mm. when I was little, all my pocket money was in change. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Me too. But it's, it really, yeah, it just shocked me. But what about, um, sorry, you were going to, you were going to carry on saying about secondary school teachers. Yeah. With secondary school kids, they're that much older and they can get a broader understanding of actually money. So it's then teaching them the difference between a credit card and overdraft and a loan, mm. what a debt looks like, what a mortgage looks like, um, what a mortgage is used for, why you wouldn't go down one route as opposed to the other route in terms of debt management, etc. So debt management, I think, is one of the biggest ones because I think people go into debt because they don't understand it in the first place. Because yeah. if you understood it in the first place, you wouldn't go into it. So <laughs> I think it's very, to me, it's as simple as that. And I didn't understand what it was, which is why I ended up in debt in the first place. And I actually don't consider, I mean, a mortgage is a debt. Of course it is a debt. It's a loan against your property. And if your mortgage payments aren't paid, your property could easily be repossessed by the bank. But it's one of those necessities because very few of us have that £300,000 sat in cash in your bank account to go and buy a house, yeah. right? However, yeah, absolutely. the biggest surge of debt that I've seen so far is everything on credit, PCP, cars. Sometimes it makes sense. So sometimes getting the loan for the car makes total sense, but sometimes it is a nonsense because it's just for status more than it is for anything else. So that gets my oh. back up a little bit. Um, but again, that it's is so funny kids. that you just said that. Why? Uh, my partner and I, I'm sure he won't mind me saying we, we <laughs> argued about whether you take a loan out on a car or not. And I was sat on the fence of, yes, no problem. Mum and dad do it all the time. Like, because I have grown up with that. And then Pete was like, but if you can't afford it, why do you spend it? Like, you can't, you can't spend it if you can't afford it. And he has the other, other mindset, like, like yourself of, yeah, you can't do it. Oh gosh. And he's, yeah. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, that, that's so interesting though, isn't it? Because it yeah. just comes to show the mindsets. And like I said, there's nothing wrong. Like if you need a car to get your kids to school and you can't afford a lump sum payment to buying a, a car, just be sensible with what you're doing with that debt. Just be sensible mm. with the size of that debt that you're yeah. getting to enable you to afford the car that that is going to get you from A to B, not the car that you want, but that's just going to get you from A to B to do yeah. what you need to do on an everyday basis. Um, so, yeah, going back to secondary school kids, it's just teaching them those types of basics, um, how to save, how to invest, what debt looks like. All of that, I think they come out of school knowing all of those things. They're, you know, it's a no-brainer really, isn't it? Yeah. That's why it baffles me why this if... isn't in school. Yeah. I know. And you're working hard to try and introduce it into schools, though, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a governor at my kids' local schools at the moment, and we have it's yeah. always up for discussion to be able to get it into the curriculum. Um, and I know there's a few people actually lobbying it in Parliament at the moment to try and get that into mm. the curriculum. I think Martin Lewis is one of the bigger ones. So <clears throat> I'm almost going to piggyback off of that to just ensure it's going into the local area and make sure it is part of the curriculum and kids are learning about yeah. the money in the meantime. Yeah, I've my Rachel, who I interviewed on the podcast before yourself, um, I think she works for Equal 
I'm not sure. Maybe that's my auntie's company, Equilibrium um, Finance okay. Company. And I think I think she works for a different company, but she had designed some um, educational resources on financial education to go into primary schools and had oh, a whole wow. resource packet. Yeah. So I've seen yeah. I've seen lots of people doing it. I feel yeah. the curriculum curriculum within primary maybe just needs to change considerably as well as finance as well as lots of other things maybe (laughs) oh absolutely you know I think we're working with a very old curriculum and I don't think it's changed quick enough and you know with the times as it is so let's see what happens and I'm just so happy to hear there are other people out there who are trying to get it into schools because it's a big thing it is a big thing and one person alone you know it's much easier if you've got many people trying to do the same thing at once absolutely yeah absolutely oh well Priya thank you so much for your time and your honesty and being so open my pleasure Beth my pleasure thank you so much for having me it's actually been really good fun I've enjoyed it you're welcome thank you you're very welcome and if you ever need me 